Welcome to the ICANN Podcast, the podcast of the Indiana Catholic Conference. The Indiana Catholic Conference is the official public policy voice of the Catholic bishops of Indiana. Welcome back to the ICANN Podcast. This is Alexander. And Angela. And we're back for another week of talking about what's been going on down at the State House in the 2023 Indiana General Assembly. So this week, Angela was down at the State House for a press conference. This was our major highlight of this week, talking about Senate Bill 1. We've talked about Senate Bill 1 before, but we'll give you a little update about where it is. And um, Angela will take it away. Tell us about what, what's going on with that bill and what did you say at the press conference? Well, the press conference, it was put together by Faith in Indiana and there were several um, religious um, organizations and denominations. In fact, I was the only person of maybe 20 plus without a collar mm-hmm. um, representing, I was represent, of course representing the Catholic Church, but there were uh, Disciples of Christ, Church of Christ, a rabbi, um, Methodists, Baptists, Presbyterians, um, uh, everyone uh, was there. Because, of course, um, mental health and addiction affects everyone, regardless of social economic background, race, religion, you know, your status or prestige or lack thereof within the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, as evidence, when the bill was still on the Senate side and the lieutenant governor, uh, Suzanne Crouch, talked about mental illness in her family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of these people were together. And what was interesting, um, regardless of the religion, one of the common themes was respecting the dignity of the person. And when people are in a fragile mental or addictive state, it can be easy for someone on the outside looking in to see them as less than. And in fact, that's when they need the most help. And so while the bill has passed through the Senate side unopposed, it does not have funding. And when there has been talk of funding, it's not been full funding. And when I say full funding, it's been estimated to cover, and it's it's statewide, but only certain counties would originally get uh, some of the benefits. Over 100,000 is needed, somewhere around 130,000 is needed, and the amount that's been floated for funding has been not even a fifth of that, or barely a fifth of that. Mm. So what everyone at the press conference was asking for was full funding. I mean, it's great, you know, for leaders within the chambers to say, oh, we fully support this because we passed it unanimously. Well, that means nothing if it's not going to have the meat and potatoes behind it to actually do some good. Mm -hmm. And what that means is when someone is having a crisis that they can call a number nationwide, it's 988. And here in Indiana, there will be someone there to answer the phone someone qualified, that a crisis unit with trained people to handle either mental or addictive crises would respond, not armed police officers who, quite honestly, that's not their job in keeping the peace and protecting people. It's not to answer a mental health crisis. Mm -hmm. And then there'd be some place to take them. Um, Jail sales, holding sales, by definition, 
those are supposed to be for people that we suspect of having committed a crime, not people who need our empathy and our help. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we were asking for, full funding to have the right person to call, have the right person respond, have the right place to take the people so mm-hmm. that they can receive the care that they need. Mm-hmm. So something that I've heard in the, in the discussions on this is how much money, even if it is an investment up front from the state, how much money this saves, has the potential to save in uh, mitigating all of the costs associated with caring for people with extreme mental health conditions, right? Exactly. Um, and I don't have that number in front of me, but, but significant enough where the investment makes sense, Right. Right. Uh, and even if it wasn't a good return on investment, we're talking about the lives of vulnerable people. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. So I think that maybe we could talk about the where the budget is now. because So we've got Senate Bill 1 that passed the Senate, um, now is in the House being considered. And that doesn't have the funding attached to it. The funding would come in the budget bill, right? Correct. So where are we now with the budget bill? So. The process continues. Yeah. And uh, you, what people say, um, you don't want to know how the sausage is made. It's a process that it on the outside, it seems like it should be simple. These are the things that we need. We know we have money. Do it. Mm-hmm. But there, it's politics. So there's a lot of give and take. And what should be given priority? Uh, and with that, there's you know got to be funding for education. There's the opportunity to expand choice for families, and that is facing on this side um, more of a battle than it's seen before because it would uh, what some people would like is universal choice, which means any family, regardless of income, um, could take their tax dollars and send their kid to the school that best worked for them. Some people think, well, if you have the means, why should tax money be used for that Mm -hmm. and originally when choice started here in indiana it was framed to give those with lower income a way to have access to an education that they might not afford and there are some people that feel like maybe the you know the the tables have been turned a little bit um so it's going to be a battle in several different arenas for the the funding and the money Mm -hmm. so right now the the budget bill is before the senate Right. And um, I think we'll expect that there'll be a number of changes to the bill and that it'll have to be negotiated then between the House and the Senate because both chambers have different priorities on what they'd ultimately like to see, what they'd like to spend the state's As money on. As does the governor. <laughs> yeah. So um, to, I, th- I don't think we have any doubt that the budget will be passed, but ultimately what sort of product we have at the end remains to be seen. Correct. So that's all as far as legislation we have this week. But to wrap up our podcast episode, we want to talk about the National Eucharistic Revival. You might have heard, if you've been listening on Catholic Radio Indy, about the upcoming Eucharistic Congress or Eucharistic Revival. Mm -hmm. This is the first one in over 50 years. And it's going to be here in Indianapolis in July of 2024. The exact dates are what, Alexander? July 17th through 21st in 2024. And it's going to be at Lucas Oil Stadium. So they're hoping for about 80,000 Catholics. 80 to 100,000 is what we've heard. Yeah. 
men, women, children, families, youth groups. Yeah. So the the way I understand it is that leading up to, I don't know all the details, I think there are four different pilgrimages they're planning from across the country. Correct. To uh, Eucharistic um, Eucharistic pilgrimages or, or you know, processions that will come and converge in Indianapolis. And I think it's will will be a really powerful moment for the church in Indiana. I mean, the fact that we're here, and for anybody listening who's, we assume that most of you, if not all of you listening to this, are in Indiana, and what a moment for the church in Indiana to be a central point for this National Eucharistic Revival and um, the Eucharistic Congress. Registration is open. Registration includes access to the event, um, does not include meals or hotel. Uh, there will be activities for families and young people. Um, church groups can register as a group. There is a group discount of, of some sort. Um, I know different deaneries have already been asked uh, if they're going to register as a group. Um, it's something to look into if you've heard little bits and pieces about it. Uh, here in the Archdiocese, we had our kickoff last year on Father's Day, June 19th of 2022. And I know several other areas have done different things to kind of put it on people's radars. Um, some are waiting until July and then counting down from a year. I've heard that from some parishes because when I've mentioned it, people have gone back and said, what's this about? Mm -hmm. Why aren't we doing anything? Um, so if you haven't heard anything in your parish, it may be that they're waiting for that year to, to count down. Mm -hmm. But it is going to be something very exciting. Um, like I said, it hasn't happened in over 50 years. And the fact that, and for, for most of us, if that's going to be the time frame, this could be a once-in-a-lifetime event that you could mm -hmm. participate in. Mm -hmm. I, I had a chance to go to a retreat just yesterday for some employees in the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. And Father Patrick Hyde is a, a Dominican priest down at the at Indiana University, St. Paul's Catholic Center there. And um, he's been listed as one of the National Eucharistic Preachers. And so he gave, he gave a talk, two talks for us. And um, one of them was, was centered on how this moment of the National Eucharistic Revival is an invitation from the bishops of the U.S. for all of us, the whole church in the U.S., um, to renew our, our sense of Eucharistic vo devotion, not just from a sort of uh, lofty, a lofty I ideal, right, but how is uh, each of us, how can each of us think about what does that look like, what does a Eucharistic Revival look like for me in my life, in my family, in my parish, in my diocese, and then in our country. And how does that, like, how does that transform everything in my life? And I think it was a really powerful moment to reflect on. And he especially encouraged us employees of the archdiocese to think about how does it, um, how does that transform your work as archdiocesan employees? Even though for us at the Catholic Conference, we're kind of employed by all the dioceses, but it was, um, really powerful to reflect on and to, to have some moments then after that in, in uh, time for Mass. and um, So what a, what a gift this revival is to us, and I think it'll certainly be on our minds as we work in the State House too and help 
uh, even our Catholic legislators, even non-Catholic legislators, to see that um, the we pray a, a joy that comes from this experience. What I'm hopeful too is I know that you know there has been a lot of divide uh, recently over political events, mm. and um, I know that there are Catholics who were joyous with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and then there are Catholics who believe something different. And I'm hoping that this Eucharistic revival can kind of bridge that and people can put Mm -hmm. their differences aside, be it based on, you know, the Supreme Court decision or politics or just, you know, the culture wars, as they call them, that have been going on, that as Catholics that they can come together for this, because that is something that all Catholics should be able to agree on the importance and the need for the presence of the Eucharist in your life. Mm. What what a center point of unity. I mean, it's the supreme mm-hmm. is is our Lord in the Eucharist. So what a yeah, that's a great it's a great thought. Well, we hope that you will seek out information about this and if you are so moved um, to inquire and register, um, Try not to let cost be a factor because I know that um, they're trying to provide scholarships or free or free tickets. And so if you have the desire to go, do not let the price tag be the thing that stops you from making any further inquiries. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I think that's all we have for you this week. Thank you for tuning in as always. Have a blessed week and we'll see you again next week. God bless. Mm-hmm.